We're going to jump right into things today, all right? Not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right into what we have for today. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we are now in week three of our series titled Rule and Reign. And so over the last few weeks, we have been unpacking what exactly that means for us and how we can apply that to our lives. And so let me do a really quick recap, make sure everybody else is up to speed so we can start at the the same place. So in week one, we began this uh, by going back to Genesis 1. And what we said is that the biblical writers were painting this really important picture for us. Namely, what they were painting is a picture that says everything is God's. He is the owner of all things. The earth is his and everything within it. But what God has done is he has given us authority as human beings to rule and to reign on his behalf within this creation. We are to be co-rulers, co-creators with God. And so what we said in week one is ultimately this. The human vocation or purpose is wise stewardship. That is who we are to be. That is what we are to do. We are to wisely steward the things that God gives us, okay? And so then last week, what we started to do is go through some of the the pillars that hold that up. What does wise stewardship look like? And so pillar one last week was the concept of diligence. Simply put, we are to be a people who work hard. We are to be a people who are mindful and and intentional about the things that God gives us. We are not to be lazy. We are not to be apathetic. We are not to be lukewarm. We are to be serious with what God has given us and, and maximize that. That's what he has called us to do. In fact, when I was going through my studies this week, I read this section of scripture that I, thought, I think really summarizes this in a beautiful way. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So the author of Hebrews is saying exactly what Devin talked about last week. We are to give it everything we have to love God and to love others. We want to see this hope realized. And so we have to put everything we have into it, okay? And so that brings us up to this week into pillar number two. And pillar two is a really important one because it is ultimately the heart posture that we are to have when it comes to wise stewardship. This is kind of the inner disposition that should ultimately lay the foundation for us. And so what we're going to be talking about today is the idea of contentment. Contentment. We are to be a people who are content. And that is going to allow us to steward the things that God has given us wisely. That's what we're going to talk about today. And so we're going to begin by doing this. We're going to allow scripture 
to define this concept for us. It's really important when we do a study with a particular topic like this that we allow scripture to speak for itself. A lot of times we'll read something in scripture and then we'll look it up in Webster's Dictionary. Webster's Dictionary might not have the same definition that the biblical writers are trying to use. So we have to allow that to frame this for us. And in the New Testament, there are two Greek words that that are ultimately translated as content or contentment. And so this is what's going to kind of lay that down for us. So the first Greek word that the biblical writers used is most often uh, defined as having everything that you need, okay? So it's, it's a sense of sufficiency. You will always have enough. This is what the, the writers are trying to bring about. The second one has a slightly different feel because this one means to delight in. So in other words, don't just settle, don't just begrudgingly accept the things God gives you, but be pleased with them, rejoice in them, delight in the things that God has given you. So this is biblical contentment right here, to delight in what God has given you and to trust that it will be enough. That's biblical contentment. You can put it this way, be content with what you do have, be content with what you don't have. This is what it means. In fact, in Philippians chapter four, many people call this the contentment chapter because Paul talks about this often within it. This is the exact setup that he has from start to finish. And in the middle, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. In the ups and in the downs and in everything in between, I am content. And how do I do that? I rejoice in what I have and I trust that he'll provide what I don't have. That's contentment. So let's break these two apart and really see how they apply to our lives and our perspectives. And so let's start with this idea of delighting in what God has given us. What does this entail? What would this actually look like within our lives? And I think we have to begin with this. This aspect of contentment comes directly from a perspective that says God owns it all and is freely giving of it to us. That's where we begin. It's a recognition that everything we are and everything we have is from God through his love, through his grace, through his generosity. All of it is a gift from him. And this is absolutely how the biblical writers saw the world. Like for instance, when they would look out and see the rain falling from the sky, they saw an abundant God providing for his creation. That's what they would see. When they looked out and they saw animals eating from the ground or taking fruit off the vine, they saw them eating out of the very palm of the hand of God. Like this is what they would visualize. It was this beautiful perspective of kindness and and of provisions. And behind all of it was a generous God who was the giver of all things. That's how they understood the world to work. Can you imagine if you had somebody in your life, maybe a a best friend, somebody who is especially close to you, who just every day at random times would just drop off a, a free gift at your doorstep. Like you just look there and there's, there's another free gift. And whatever it was just happened to be exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. Like, can you imagine that? Like maybe one day it's like your favorite Starbucks drink right when you're losing energy in the afternoon. You're like, oh, thank God for that, right? Maybe it's um, your, your favorite meal, right? When you uh, get hungry around lunchtime. Maybe it's just something random and, and fun to kind of cheer you up. Whatever it is, it's just right there when you need it. Now, now, if that were the case, can you imagine how much you would delight in those moments? 
like how seen and how valued you would feel and also how aware you would be of how amazing that friend is. Like you, you wouldn't go a day, maybe not an hour without thinking to yourself, man, I have the best friend in the world. Like I love them so much and your heart would just be full of joy and gratitude and optimism. In fact, you might even wanna do something similar for somebody else because you know how much it impacted you, right? And see, this is the worldview of God as the giver of all things. Just as Paul says, just as James says, everything you have is a gift from God. And if we had a true awareness of that, like if we really saw things that way, wouldn't we just live in the delight of that? Just like constantly gush over how good God is and how grateful we are for everything that he's given us? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Even in the hard times, you'd be like, yeah, it doesn't matter. My friend's with me, right? He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. We would just be so solid in that foundation. In fact, that's the exact context where we see that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. Watch what what this says. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Underline that, highlight that. Be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So catch this, we can be content ultimately because what matters most is that God is with us. And if he's with us, what could we possibly want? What could we possibly long for beyond that? What what could we possibly fear knowing that the provider of all things is right beside us? See, this is the heart posture that the biblical writers are, are trying to gently nudge us towards. Now, there's an important distinction here that I wanna call out early on. And that is this idea of contentment does not give us liberty to be lazy, does not give us liberty to be apathetic. We ordered this series very intentionally. So again, last week we said we are to work hard. We are to be intentional with everything God entrusts to us, but we are also always to have an inner disposition of contentment. This is kind of the the push-pull that Devin was alluding to last week. We are to rest in God, but we are also to lay it all on the line for him. Both of those things can be true at the same time. And in fact, this is the foundational idea behind Sabbath within Scripture. In the beginning, God was content with all he had created, so he rested on the seventh day. He didn't feel like there was more that was needed. He wasn't longing for anything else. And so ultimately, this is what the practice of Sabbath is really about. We stop, we cease as a recognition that God has given us enough, that he's in control, that we trust in him, and so we can be content. This is what it's trying to get us to live by. And then here's what that practice teaches us. This is really important. It teaches us to focus on what we do have versus what we don't have. And as you focus on what you do have, your longing for everything else slowly fades away and you actually become intentional about what, using what you do have as a wise steward. Like that's what happens. This is why contentment leads to productivity. And that seems kind of antithetical for, for some of us, but it's true because contentment allows you to focus on and maximize what's right in front of you. It's not a chase to get other people's talents or to get other people's possessions or other people's schedules. It's a mindset that says, this is the time, the ability, the resources God has given me, so let's get to work with it. 
Like it gives you focus and intentionality. Now on the flip side, if it's all about going out and and chasing after and getting what you don't have, I promise you will not be a good steward of what you do have. It will not happen. And the truth is, is we're all guilty of this, especially in our context. We're all guilty of this. I bet every one of us has things in our home right now that we never use, have in fact forgotten about somewhere in storage that could change the life of somebody across the globe. Every one of us has that. I bet every one of us has a gifting that we've overlooked and we've discarded that others could use to change the world around them. Now, why does that happen? Because we're too focused on what we don't have rather than maximizing what we do. And contentment or lack thereof is absolutely the core problem. Always remember, everything you have is God's. And if he's given it to you, it's for a purpose. So be grateful for it, focus on it, and watch him use it for the good. Delight in what God has given you and see how it shifts your perspective and your lifestyle. This is the first aspect of contentment that we need to sit in, okay? Now that leads us to the second thing, and that is as we delight in what God has given us, we need to trust that it's enough. We need to trust that he'll always provide. So we're gonna read through Matthew chapter six. We're gonna go through a a pretty lengthy amount of scripture here. But I'm telling you, this is chock full of wisdom. I mean, from top to bottom. In fact, I would encourage you this week to just every day go read this section of scripture and just see what it does to your perspective and maybe see the things that you start to, to think about. There's so much here that we could break down. So let's begin in verse 19. This is Jesus speaking. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pause there for a second. So Jesus is laying out some really important foundations here, okay? He's saying we need to make sure that we're valuing the things that actually last. We need to make sure that our eyes are focused on that good and right thing. And we need to make sure that we're devoted first and foremost to God beyond it all. So he's laying these things out so that he can say what he says next. Let's pick back up. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. Jesus is like, just just think about the birds. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? 
For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <clears throat> um, we have like sermons for a lifetime from what we just read. I mean, it's just, it's like over and over. It's so much wisdom that we could break down. And this will also be some of the stuff we get into next week. But I want to begin with this. Jesus's words here are absolutely steeped in Old Testament language and Old Testament narrative. Starting at Genesis 1, like we've done the last few weeks, but going well beyond that into the Psalms, into the Proverbs, which ultimately shows us this. Jesus views creation as a stable place where we are being hosted by a very generous person. Just like sit in that worldview for a second. Jesus views creation as a stable place where we're being hosted by a very generous person. This will actually be the basis of our pillar next week, but I want you to start wrestling with this perspective now because a direct product of seeing through that lens is contentment. If, if, if the world's a stable, ordered place hosted by a loving creator, that means there's enough. That, that means that we're in a place of abundance and, and sufficiency, and so I don't have to worry. I don't, I don't have to be anxious. I, I also don't have to steal and, and hoard and covet things. I can just be content with what that generous creator has for me. In fact, did you notice that Jesus has this view of creation that eliminates anxiety? Like he's like, anxiety is unnecessary within God's creation. Now think about that in our culture where we have this epidemic of anxiety that just continues to rise and rise and rise. What Jesus seems to be saying is if we had the right perspective of God, we wouldn't be an anxious people. We wouldn't be a people who are running around worried about every little thing. Now, now we probably struggle with that idea. And in fact, we, we might even take issue with that initially but if we do, that's simply because we don't see the world through the same lens as Jesus. We have a fundamentally different view of the world. And so when Jesus says things like this, we kind of feel that immediate tension rise up within us. Like we, we maybe even get a little bit defensive, like that doesn't even make sense, whatever, right? And, and yet it might not based off of your worldview, but apparently it did through Jesus's. And so what's the missing link between the two? What, what, what are we missing that's going on here? And well, Jesus seems to think it's faith. Isn't that what he says in verse 30? You of little faith? Are you, you're worried about this? You're anxious about all of these things? Like Jesus trusts that he'll be provided for. He knows how generous his father is. And so he's not gonna worry or, or be anxious when he knows these things will be supplied. Now, does that mean it will be easy? No. Go read through the Gospels. Jesus did not live an easy life. But here's the thing. He knew all of his needs would be met. And that was enough. That was enough for Jesus. I love the combination of verse 32 and 33. It says this, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. Does that sound familiar to you? Eagerly seeking after what we will eat and what we will drink and what we will wear. That sounds familiar to me. And your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. 
he seems to be saying, if you don't think that God will provide your food and your shelter and, and your clothing, if you're constantly worried and anxious about all these things, it's a faith problem. You're lacking a fundamental aspect of your relationship with God. Now that's something to deeply consider. That's something to maybe sit in for a little bit. If my worry and anxiety is rising up over things that God says he will provide, then what's missing about the way that I'm viewing this situation or this circumstance or or this life? Do I have a wrong view of God? Do I not believe that that he's capable of providing? Or maybe do do I think that he just doesn't care? What, What is the missing link and how can we bridge that gap? I think sometimes for many of us, we just kind of feel like God is holding out on us. He's just, he's, he's just not helping us out. Man, look at what that person has. And look at what that person is accomplishing. And we become discontent because of what God is doing through those around us. It's the comparison game, right? And comparison is not only the thief of joy, it's the thief of contentment. You cannot be content as long as you're comparing yourself to everybody else. It just won't happen. And like I alluded to earlier, what will happen is you will end up driving a wedge between you and God. You will convince yourself that God is not showing up for you. He he does not have your best interest in mind. Why isn't he giving me what they have? Why don't I have the gift that they've got? It will rot you from the inside out. We talked about Adam and Eve in week one and how their story is relevant to, to this concept. This is exactly what happened to them. They were convinced that God wasn't out for their best interest. And so again, representative of all of this, they couldn't be content with everything God had given them. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden except this one. And of course, they desired and they took from what wasn't to be eaten. In the utter abundance that they existed in, they still weren't content. I'm gonna say that again. In the absolute abundance that they lived in, they still were not content. See, this is where you and I need to take a few steps back. And we need to start asking ourselves, despite all that God has given me, is my heart and is my mind in a place of contentment and trust? Or is it still in a place of wanting and desiring and longing for more and more and more? and the absolute abundance of what God has given me, am I truly being a wise steward from the inside out? I'm gonna keep saying this over and over again throughout this series because it's absolutely what we need. We have to slowly but surely begin to change the way that we see the world. We we have to change our value systems. We have to change our heart posture. We have to, to focus on different things. It's a complete shift in our lifestyle. That is what is necessary. The idea that we could live our lives in a way that says, I am fully satisfied with the things that I have. I'm not gonna want, I'm not gonna desire, I'm not gonna long for things aside from what God has for me. That's a radically different way to live your life in this time and culture. Very different, also very difficult because you're like swimming upstream your whole life, right? Against what culture says to do and what it says to value. But the question isn't, is it difficult? The question is, is it worth it? Is, Is it what God desires from you? Is it what will allow you to bring his kingdom to earth in everything that you do? These are the questions. And I wholeheartedly believe the answer to that is yes. 
if we will align ourselves with who he calls us to be, with what he calls us to focus on, it will change the world around us. So I just, I want us to settle and, and kind of wrestle with these things for a little bit. In what areas of my life am I not content? I want you to really think about that. In what areas am I not trusting in God's provisions? In what areas am I not delighting in or, or grateful for all that God has given me? And as we sit with that and as we tussle with that, I truly believe we'll begin to see through the lens of Jesus. And that's what we desire. If we can get our heart posture right here, and that's a big deal, but if we can get that right, it will allow us to operate in what comes next. Because if contentment is our inner disposition, then our pillar next week must ultimately be our lifestyle. The thing that must be at the forefront of everything we are and everything that we do. And that's what we'll dig into next week. Stand with me. <clears throat> all right, so you've got an assignment this week, all right? Put it on your calendars. Make sure you give yourself to this. Every day this week, I want you to read through Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34. Every day this week. Read through it slowly. Think about what Jesus is trying to say. Think about the things he tells you to think about. And as you do that, I want you to truly wrestle with this idea of contentment. Because here's the thing, when it comes to a topic like this, I can get up here and I could talk for hours. It's not gonna do much good. This is something that you're gonna have to ponder and really think about, really, really allow it to stir in your heart and your mind. Because we live in a culture where contentment is not normal. We are told to not be content, to go after more and to get more. And so it's something we're gonna have to seriously consider. And so as you do that this week, I just wanna encourage you, be open to whatever God is trying to show you. Some of it's gonna be really difficult because we have our hands really tightly around a lot of the things in our lives that he wants us to let go of. But just open up, consider what he's trying to show you and respond to it accordingly. So let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Man, I thank you so much for who you are and for everything that you have given us. In fact, help us to look around at all of the amazing blessings that you have given us as a free gift of your grace. I mean, it wouldn't take us but two minutes to walk around our homes and just be overwhelmed with how good you've been to us. God, don't let us forget. Don't let us overlook the things that you have given us. Help us to focus, to be intentional, to maximize every bit of it. And I pray this week that as we jump into these things and as we're serious about diving into what you have to say, Jesus, that you would shine a bright light on the things that we need to be aware of. Shine a bright light on the changes that need to be made in our 
in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Let's pray that you would encourage us as we take those steps forward. You know better than anybody, we're gonna stumble along. We're gonna trip, we're gonna fall. But God, just keep picking us up. Keep leading us down that good and right path, as difficult as it may be. We truly do look to you as the giver of all things. There's nothing you can't do. There's no shortage in your creation because you are an abundant, generous God. And help us to live in that, to rest in that. God, just continue to speak to our hearts and our minds what only you can individually, personally help us as we move forward to be a people who are content in who you are and in what you have given. In Jesus' name.